Well, good morning. It is very good for us to be together, uh, to encourage one another in our walk with God and in Jesus Christ. But more than that, it is good for us to be together to express our adoration and our praise to God. For he is a glorious God, an awesome God, deserving all that we can give him and more. We appreciate all you are visiting with us. Thank you for coming and blessing us with your presence. We're encouraged by your decision to worship God with us here this morning. In Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you have this very familiar statement, this declaration that Jesus Christ made when he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is a very familiar passage to all of us here in in this audience. But think for just a moment, think about how profound this statement is and what, what it is teaching us, what it is revealing to us. For one, it tells us, it reveals to us the very purpose of Jesus' mission. If you're going to sum up why did Jesus come, this is one of, the, one of those verses that pretty much says it very plainly and clearly to us. That here we have, why did Jesus take on flesh and walk on earth among men? It was to find and then save lost souls. I think another thing that is also implied by this profound statement is this, and that is salvation requires effort. You know, the idea of Jesus came to seek, that's work. He came to save, that's work. Salvation always requires effort, not only by the one who is the Savior, but also by the ones who are saved as well. And thirdly, in the context of Luke chapter 19... We have this historical account of the man Zacchaeus. And that's specifically who Jesus is making the application to and then draws this lesson to apply to all men. And that is, with the saving of Zacchaeus, what it is telling us is people need to be found. And people need to be saved. Such a simple statement. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You need saving. You need saving. I need saving. All men need saving. Over in Acts chapter 4, you have apostles making this statement based upon the truth concerning Jesus Christ. It is one of the occasions when the apostles are giving a defense for the gospel and for the work that they are doing. And they said, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now think about that again. 
There's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Without Christ, without Christ, we're lost. Without Christ, you are lost. Without Christ, the world is lost. Without Christ, all the acquaintances and friends and family, without Christ, they are lost. No other person, no other authority is able to save them or us from the terrible consequences of our sins. There is no other way. That is why the Son of God, Jesus Christ, calls everybody. He calls everyone through his gospel to turn to him, to follow me. Because salvation and eternal life are exclusively in the Lord. Exclusively. And we don't like to sometimes talk about the exclusiveness of things in our culture today. But everybody is lost. And only Jesus, only the Son of God, and the work that the God has accomplished through him can save all lost people. There are no other savior options. None for us and for the world. Now here are some questions I want you to very briefly just ponder. Do we, do we personally take this seriously? Do we personally take this seriously? Without Christ, lost. Do we comprehend the gravity of the spiritual state of being lost? Do we really comprehend that? In this kind of audience, among believers and followers of Christ, we talk about this, you know, And we understand this, but do we comprehend the gravity of the spiritual state of anyone being lost? And thirdly, do we mourn? Do we mourn that so many, so many precious souls all around us are lost? Because they are without Christ. Do we mourn that to the point that we will try to do something to impact other people's lives? What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? Maybe we don't mourn it. Maybe we don't comprehend it because we really haven't, you know, reminded ourselves of what does it mean to be lost. In a physical manner, 
something, but just physically. It entails not knowing where you are, and perhaps maybe you don't know how to get out of that circumstance. You're out driving and you got lost. You don't know where you are. You don't have GPS, and you don't know how to get out of that situation. You are lost. Being lost also may come with feelings of loneliness, helpless, and confusion. Even you go out there, you're lost, and and suddenly, you know, there's nobody around, and you start maybe getting a little anxious and worried. And so, being lost sometimes comes with those feelings of helplessness, confusion. And the thing is, and if you remain lost, if you stay lost. It can lead to greater dangers, can it not? Harm can come to you. And in a worst case scenario, maybe even death if you're lost. Now that's just looking from a physical standpoint. But we're here this morning not to focus on the physical fear of being lost and the physical danger of physically being lost. We're here to talk about spiritual things, to look at what does it mean to be lost from God's viewpoint, from the viewpoint of the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses the shepherd-sheep analogy in the Gospels to teach us about the seriousness of being lost. That's why he uses those illustrations, these pictures of a shepherd and his sheep. A good shepherd looks out for the well-being of his flock, of his sheep. How, how, how much? Well, a good shepherd, he does it 24-7. He doesn't get a vacation. A good shepherd does, does not get a vacation from his sheep because you know it's a 24-7 kind of responsibility. He does it for one, for one reason, because he cares. He's concerned. He cares. He's a good shepherd. On the, but the other reason is, is because there are so many possible dangers that can happen to sheep. So just on a physical standpoint, a physical shepherd and physical sheep, animals, and the care that goes on with that and the work that's involved in that, you know, why is there so much care being done by the shepherd? It's because he cares, but also because he knows there are so many possible dangers that can happen to his sheep. For example, as sheep graze, if you have open fields that's not fenced, you have open grazing, what is the tendency of sheep? What's their natural tendency? Well, they just go off and they wander away. And when they're away from the protective watchfulness of the shepherd, sheep are vulnerable. Sheep are very vulnerable, and they're quite defenseless to the predators. But the Lord was not giving lessons in his ministry about being a physical shepherd, taking care of physical sheep. That wasn't the lessons he was trying to teach. But he was using the knowledge to help us to understand the seriousness of being lost. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, it reads, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel. So he's going everywhere, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And now listen in verse 36. Seeing the people, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Here are lost sheep. They don't have a shepherd. And New American Standard Version uses the words, they, they were distressed and dispirited. Other versions, you may have a, a word such as harassed and cast down, or weary and scattered, or faint and helpless. He says, he looked and he saw the people. What was their state? Their state was lost sheep, and that's not good. That's a dangerous state to be in, because harm eventually will come. Harm eventually is going to burden those lost sheep. Over in John 10, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd, I want to pull out just two verses in that context where it talks about the idea of the predator in this whole analogy. Predators, what do they do? They attack. And predators are going to attack sheep. And so as Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd and he's not like other hireling and workers, in verse 10 he says, the thief comes... One predator is simply a thief. He says, and the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, that's why he says, I'm the good shepherd. But these other guys, these other folks, they're thieves. What's the, what, what's, what's the role of a thief when it comes to taking care of sheep? It is to steal. It is to kill and to destroy. In the same context, he draws the other predator into his analogy there in verse 12, and he talks about how the wolf comes and leaves the sheep, and, 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 and then talks about the, the hireling leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. That's what the wolf does. He's a predator, just like the thief. In the world today, in the world today, men are lost sheep. Without Christ, we are lost sheep, and we are scattered across this world's dangerous wilderness. It is dangerous in the world, spiritually. And when we don't have the shepherd guiding us, what are we? We're distressed and dispirited. We're harassed and cast down, you know, all kinds of descriptions there. And then you've got the predators lurking constantly around us, thieves and wolves. In Luke 8, verse 12, it is part of the parable of the sower. When describing and explaining the first soil, the wayside, and, and, and what does the devil come and do first? 
The devil comes and basically snatches the word, snatches the seed out of the heart. He's a thief. And that's what he does to sheep. The devil tries to steal and rob and cheat people from coming to know truth and the Lord and God's word. Colossians 2 verse 8 talks about the philosophies and traditions of men that take you captive. The New King James Version uses the word that cheat you. I really like that one because it suggested the idea of robbing. That's what, that's what human philosophies that are in, not in harmony but in opposition to truth, to God's truth. What it does, it robs sheep of the very nourishment and sustenance that's consist- that will sustain them. There's thieves in the world today. Predators. Predators are attacking souls every day, 24-7. In Acts 20, Paul uses the analogy of wolves, talking about teachers that would enter in the flock or even among themselves would rise up teaching things contrary to the gospel that you draw away, draw away sheep out of that flock. So here we are, when we think about the landscape of our world, you think of the landscapes of human societies, it is littered with all kinds of allurements and temptations with entanglements and entrapments, with influencers and manipulators, which will bring ruin, pain, and grief to your life. That's the landscape. That's the wilderness we live in today. And Jesus I came to seek and save that which was lost. People are lost without Jesus. We are lost if we don't have Jesus in our life. And the danger is we have all these things around us that are constantly drawing our attention and, and, and pulling at our desires. And, we, and if we're not careful, we start believing the, the lies that are marketed. The best you know, marketer scheme is the devil. He is, he is the schemer of all schemes. And he's, he's been marketing sin from the beginning of time. And we as stupid sheep have been leaving the lies since then. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save people. Because people without a shepherd, people without Christ, without me, their life is in ruins. They're living with pain and grief. Ephesians 4 Paul is writing to the church at at Ephesus and he describes the life that they once lived when they were not in Christ, were not with Christ, when they were walking according to the ways of the Gentiles or as the world and talks about how that their thinking was futile, their understanding was darkened, and their life was corrupt. That's the state of being lost. Alienated from the life of God. 
But also, we see, to be apart from Christ means to have no hope. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, You were at that time, before these Christians called upon the name of the Lord and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, let me tell you what your state was before you had Jesus in your life. He says, you were at that time separate from Christ. You were without Jesus. Well, what did that mean? He said, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. If you want to be truly alone, live a life without God. There is utter loneliness. Oh, you can have all the friends in this world that you can muster around you, but you will be totally alone. That's what it means to be lost without Christ, without God. You are alone in the worst sense of the word. You are cut off from God's family, and you are excluded from the promises of God. Those promises are not yours yet. You, know, you, you have not accessed yourselves to the promises so it can anchor you to Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, you have a paragraph that is penned to be words of comfort. Talking this morning about comfort that comes from God in Christ Jesus. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse you know, 13, it, it addresses the saints in Thessalonica, and it says, and so Paul says, we don't, have, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who had passed on, who passed away, died. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about that so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. There's grief with hope, and there's grief without hope. If you're, lo- if you're without Christ, in the state of being lost, for us, for anybody for that matter, in the state of being lost, it means to gr- have a hopeless grief. In verse 17, we are promised that when the Lord returns, we'll be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord. You get to meet the Lord in person one day. He says, and so we shall always be with the Lord. That's hope. But then there's all those outside of Christ who are lost And they don't have that hope. And if something happens, it is a hopeless grief. To be lost means to be in danger of eternally losing yourself. We already already read in Luke 9, 25. if If you gain the whole world but lose your soul, as Matthew pens in the 16th chapter, to be lost, not only it means to be with, without hope because you don't have Christ, you don't have any confident expectation of the hereafter, but he says to be lost means to be in danger of eternally losing yourself and your soul. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 chapter 1, verse 9, just talking about those who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when the Lord comes, they are 
totally unprepared. And he says, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, forever separated from the presence of the Lord and his glory. Think about that. To be lost and remain lost outside, separate from Christ, means to be forever, forever, and ever, and ever separated from the Lord's presence and his glory. From creation, from creation, core to our being is the reality and the truth that you and I were made to be in the presence of our creator. You are made to be in the presence of your creator. And sin destroyed that. Even Adam's sin separated them from the very one that their very essence was designed and brought to life to be in. And it goes the same for us as well. We are made to be in the presence of God. That's why he sent Jesus to be our Savior, so that we can return to the very purpose of our living, the purpose of our, our very existence, to be in the presence of the one who created us, to be in the very presence of the one who gives us breath and life and soul and spirit. And to be lost is to be eternally in danger of losing yourself and never, ever being in the presence of the one that you are made to be in the presence of. But also, it means to be forever in agonizing darkness. There's a number of times in the ministry of Jesus that he spoke of the truth concerning judgment that all men are accountable to their God, to their creator. And, and as he speaks of this reality, and he describes it through various parables. For, for example, in Matthew 25, in the parable of the talents, you know, you've got the worthless servant, the one who did not do anything you know, to serve his master you know, the one who was given the one talent but buried it, he says, and so he says, you know, you know, to those around, he says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Forever in agonizing darkness. Where God is not, where God is not, is darkness. Why is sin described as darkness? Why is iniquity and transgression described as darkness? It's because it's where God is not. God is not in that. It is not good, it is not right, it is not wholesome. It was not the very, it was, you were not created for that purpose. God is not where there is darkness. And yet we are told that when that great day of judgment comes and there is 
a judgment of each living being, each living soul who gives an account what they've done in the body, whether good or bad, Christ will be sitting on the judgment seat and he says, the worthless ones, the those who are gonna be cast out, he says, you will be cast out forever in agonizing darkness. Not only were we made to be in the presence of God, but as beings made in the image of God, Beings made in the likeness of the creator, a creator who is said to be light. Our spirits and our souls are made for light. We were not made for darkness. It's the lies of Satan, it's the lies of worldliness that you know, draws us away to the glittering, sparkling aspect of sin and worldliness to find out that when you partake of it, it is just dark and there's no goodness in it. And God's made us to walk in light. He made us to partake of light. So what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? Well, it means, on the one hand, to understand the dangers that come with being separated from God and Christ. And how that utter separation leads to a hopeless state that in turn can lead to an eternal separation from God, an eternal home in darkness. But Jesus says, I came to find you. I came seeking to find you so that I can save you. Are you His? Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to the gospel of Christ, the power that will save those who by faith obey? Have you done that? If not, you are lost. You are lost. And that state is serious. It's grave. It's not a game. Is not a game at all. Jesus died for you. Innocent, holy Jesus died for you and me. Because we have sinned. We wandered off. And we became ensnared, entangled, influenced, and manipulated by the devil and all the schemes he has sown in this world. But you can change that this very hour. But you have to believe. You have to believe not only in Jesus, you have to believe Jesus. And believe that he that believes and repents of their sins and confesses their faith before men and are buried in baptism 
to wash away the sins. You have to believe in doing that. God cleanses you. And God makes you his own. And God adopts you into his family. And you are no longer lost. Because now you have Christ in you. And you are in Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to do that today, this very hour. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, urging you to not delay any longer, but to do what's right in the Lord. If we can help you anyway spiritually to make your life right with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, we invite you and encourage you to please come forward, make your wishes known, and we stand and sing the psalm that's been selected.